Welcome to Becoming Referrable, the podcast that shows you how to become the kind of advisor people can't stop talking about. I'm Steve Wershing. On this episode, we interview Larry Miles, Principal at Advice Period, a firm with the audacious goal of reinventing wealth management. Advice Period has gone from a startup to managing almost $2.5 billion in less than five years. Larry says the current model of wealth management is broken, that investment management is largely commoditized, and lays out his plan to create a new model to replace it. He talks about how new technology creates the opportunity to create a whole new kind of client experience. He describes how assembling a championship team with a shared mission is critical. We also discuss his new book, It's That Simple, that describes how to build the service firm of the future. If you want to build a firm that will thrive in the 21st century, you'll want to hear this episode. Let's hear our conversation with Larry Miles. Learn everything you need to know to form and benefit from a successful client advisory board from the man who has led more client advisory board meetings than anyone in the financial services industry. Stephen Wershing, CFP, has been helping financial advisory firms create and utilize client advisory boards as a business building strategy for over seven years. And now you can get his best advice for a small fraction of the cost by attending this one-day program held just before the NAPFA 2018 conference on October 15th in Philadelphia. By the end of this one-day program, you will have a complete and thoughtful plan to make your client advisory board a reality or make a bigger success of the one you already have. What you'll learn includes how to choose the right participants for your board, creating an effective board meeting agenda, choosing a venue, what restaurants won't tell you, choosing the right person to run your meetings, and upgrading the client experience with your board's guidance. The program also includes guest speaker Marie Swift, President and CEO of Impact Communications, a thought leader for thought leaders. She is known for bringing some of the industry's best and brightest voices together for dialogue and debate. She'll teach you how to leverage your advisory board and your marketing. You'll walk out with a complete action plan for getting your advisory board together or to make your current board a bigger success. Go to napfa.advisoryboard.solutions. One day, October 15th, in Philadelphia, can show you how to deepen your client relationships and engage them like never before. Having a conversation with some of your best clients may be the fastest way to referrals and more clients. Don't miss this opportunity. Go to napfa.advisoryboard.solutions to sign up for this event today. That's napfa.advisoryboard.solutions. Now, Becoming Referrable. Larry Miles, welcome to the Becoming Referrable podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, great to have you here. So I'm really fascinated. You know, your company advice period says on its homepage that the current model of wealth management is outdated and you're going to bring something new. That's a pretty big claim. Can you tell us what you're, what, what that's all about? Absolutely. Our, our mission is to reinvent wealth management. And there, there are two big things that we saw that were opportunities or things were wrong with the, the old model. Uh, the first is that it seems as though the historical model of wealth management doesn't really focus on what matters most to clients. So many wealth management companies are still trying to sell that my asset allocation is better than yours, or I have a strategic asset allocation with a tactical overlay, or I have special managers that you can only get from me in my company. And we've just 
we just don't believe that. Uh, we, we think that much of the investment part of the client service has been commoditized and that you should instead focus on, on planning. The second big theme that we, we saw missing from the, the old model of, of a wealth management firm is just the lack of focus on technology. It almost seems as though the, the more successful your firm has been, um, the more outdated your technology, is. You, <laughs> you almost become a victim of your own, of your own success. And so it was a huge advantage to us to start from scratch four years ago. No legacy systems, no legacy technology. We could just focus on what we thought mattered most to our clients. And the the trend that we see, and and to answer your question about the future model, we see an integrated professional service firm, a firm that can deliver to its clients not just the wealth management services of planning and investing and financial advice, but integrated with tax planning, legal advice, but all from the same firm or the same family of firms that makes for a more efficient and more holistic client experience. You know, that it's interesting. And, and there are two things that I'd like to pick up on what you said. Let me take the minor one first, and, and that's the, the technology thing. <clears throat> how, much, um, how much of it is um, just uh, advisors who've been doing this for a long time not keeping current with stuff versus just a belief that this is what built this business and therefore that's what clients want. We've, we've heard both from the advisors that, that we've talked to uh, in terms of why the technology is in the state that it is. Uh, most advisors that we've met want great technology. They want a great client experience levered by technology but they're not the advisors aren't necessarily either interested or have the wherewithal to find the best technology and implement it in their business uh, even if they wanted to or even if it was their own business it just may not be their area of expertise and so th- there seems to be a desire for better technology, but not necessarily a, the skill set to go out and find it and implement it, which if you think about it, much like running a wealth management business may not necessarily be the skill set of the top advisors. Well, sure. But I, you know, I, well, and it's, it's funny because, <clears throat> because I, I see a lot of this, uh, you know, sort of, if, if it's to be, it's up to me kind of attitude with, with advisors. Like if I, if I'm going to move into a new office and I need a new computer network, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to call a guy to do it. Right. So there, there are folks out there who can help them evaluate technology is it, or, or is it just that there, there isn't anybody who's current enough on the technology to help an advisor sort through all that stuff? Our, our experience is that there's certainly someone you can call to help you find a CRM system or the basics, you know, get, get your information on the cloud. Um, but our sense is that the fintech space is moving so rapidly and things become outdated, you know, in 12 to 24 months that there really isn't an expert that's out there, or if there is someone that's holding themselves out to be an expert about kidding you out with all of the technology that you need, it's probably not the latest. It's probably dated because by the time you become an expert on a piece of technology or or a technology company, uh, there's usually something better or something newer that's come along. So it's it's really a challenge. Yeah. Do do you think that that we 
this it sounds like an approach issue and i wonder if we have a a crisis of imagination to some extent because often when we think about the client experience which you just mentioned you know the idea is well what can i deliver given what i've had it sounds like what you've done is said let's imagine a great client experience and then figure out what technology is required to run this is that is that a fair somewhat nuanced <laughs> argument but yeah, I, I, what, what resonates with me is that, yes, we, we started by thinking about what matters most to our clients and thinking about that perhaps differently than the historical wealth management model of investments first, everything else a distant second. And that was um, we magnified for us by looking at all the technological advances uh, that were out there. You know, 15 or 20 years ago, many wealth management companies, including ourselves, uh, my partners and I at our, our former business, we had to develop technology ourselves. Uh, these days, there are so many amazing third-party uh, coders, technologists that are building technology. You can kind of look at it both ways. What does this technology allow me to do to my client experience? But then also the need is driven by what really matters most to clients. Mm -hmm. and, and, and something you mentioned at, at the beginning there, uh, Julie, was that um, it's a matter of focus. So many wealth management companies, uh, large and small, uh, technology is something that's done off the corner of someone's desk. Mm. Or they look at technology as an expense, not an investment. And we think that's a massive missed opportunity. That technology th today, the, the firms are going to be the most successful at implementing the latest and the best technology and helping their clients are going to be those firms that have made technology everyone's responsibility. It's no longer the IT guy's responsibility to make sure we have the best technology. It should be everyone on the team, from the advisors to operations. Everyone needs to be focused on technology precisely because it moves so quickly and it's so difficult. Right. Well, and I'd, I'd like to pick up on Julie's comment, too, about the, the crisis in imagination. I remember back in my broker-dealer days, I went to a conference and, and was listening to one of the top operations folks from from a broker dealer talk about implementing technology and this is this is in the days when when broker dealers were just rolling out websites for advisors so that you know you mm -hmm. could access you know records and systems inside the broker dealer through the web right. which was a really amazing thing at that point and what what they were doing mostly was like putting the rep manual up online and they were putting pdf right. documents up online and what what he was saying was that um, look you know it's the power of this whole new idea is not to digitize all these paper things that we've been doing, but it's really to leverage the medium. How how much you know do you think is going on? How much is is that crisis in imagination that Julie talked about? Really, you know, that advisors can't imagine a client experience that is outside of what they've traditionally done. I, I think that is really well said and a huge part of the issue. You know, I talk with advisors all the time and, and hear things like, oh, technology will never help me with this aspect of my business or technology will never be able to automate that. And uh, I think that lack of imagination, I mean, partially it's embarrassing that more financial advisors don't embrace technology more fully than they do. And I think it's a huge opportunity for those advisors who do want to be tech enabled. Um, because when you, when you start underestimating technology 
and start deciding certain things that technology can't do or can't help you with, you, you've already lost. You're never going to see the opportunities if you've already made up your mind that technology can't help. And maybe we can, I mean, we're talking about technology, which is clearly a huge part of what you're doing. Um, but at the beginning, you mentioned understanding what's important to our clients. And that's, I'm assuming that's probably broader than technology. Can you can you speak to that? When you came in with that focus on, on what is important to our clients, what were the key learnings for you? And then how did that influence the business that you created? Uh, the, the biggest learning for us, my, my partners and I, uh, over the past 20 years has been the difficulty of trying to beat market returns, net of fees, let alone net of taxes. You know, we, we came up in this industry like so many did and were introduced to it through investments. Um, our first business was an open architecture manager of managers. We could invest in anything. And we thought given that uh, infinite menu of investment options, we would easily be able to beat passive index returns, even after fees. And maybe there was a time where that was possible. Um, but in looking at the last 5, 10, 15 years, the statistics, in our opinion, are overwhelming that beating the market net of fees, let alone net of taxes, is a losing proposition. I mean, over 90% of managers in most asset classes over any long period of time underperform. And so as we thought about okay, well, if that doesn't help our clients, if that doesn't matter to them, then what does? And at the same time, we, we started working with larger, more complex clients that really helped us understand the opportunity to benefit clients had much more to do around planning, whether that's financial planning, whether that's estate planning, whether that's just offering advice. And that was where the name of our, of our firm advice period came from was we just wanted to offer our clients advice, period. And much less about trying to beat the market. So that was a massive learning for us, um, a, a huge takeaway. And that's really what drives our business uh, around what we think matters most to our clients. Our clients work with professional service providers because we're supposed to be the experts. They want to call us and get good information, good answers on all aspects of their lives. And, and that's what we want to provide them. So one of the things that I think keeps current advisors in that investment mindset is the whole AUM-based uh, charging model. But um, so you're focusing more purely on the advice. How, how does how do you charge clients for the work that you do? You're right. A AUM is definitely a, a, in our opinion, a hallmark of the past. Uh, it, it's a clumsy way of measuring advisor success. And to us, it's entirely meaningless. Um, a firm that has large AUM, it just means they're good at selling. It doesn't mean that they're providing their clients a great experience. And so um, you know, we, we track AUM because we have to, and the SEC has us report it uh, periodically. Um, but for us and how we charge our clients, we want to charge our clients a fair fee for the value that we add whether that's through managing assets, whether that's through offering estate planning uh, construction, whether that's through um, steering them in the right direction to hire other advisors. Um, and so we, we've built, uh, we've looked at the value chain. We've looked at all the different areas where we can help clients and we've ascribed a certain value to that. 
asset allocation and manager selection, it's worth paying something for that, but certainly not 1%. Maybe 20 years ago it was, but these days you can you can Google asset allocation and get a pretty good one. You can outsource the management of it to a robo-advisor or to a Vanguard for basis points. So we'll charge for that, but not very much. Um, and then if clients want financial planning, if they want estate planning, uh, based on how valuable that's going to be to the clients, we charge them a fee. Our fee is billed quarterly in advance, almost in like a retainer type of model. Um, it's incredibly transparent. We've we've turned our belief system into a calculator that we share with clients that says, this is what we think uh, our different services are worth. Clients can opt in or opt out. It's a, it's a dynamic pricing model that really lets us Again, our, our goal is always to charge a fair fee for the value that we add. It's, I mean, it's. I've I've heard of uh, a few firms taking this approach, and I think it's met with fear. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when when we talk to to other advisors, uh, because clearly they may have high asset clients who don't actually require the same level of service, and that could change fundamentally. I mean, how correlated? do you find the assets and the fees being paid to be? I mean, do you, is it still relatively tightly correlated or do you find you have, I know you deal with higher net worth clients, but lower net worth, uh, relatively speaking, still paying higher fees and, and vice versa? You know, my, my opinion is that there's a, there's a certain amount of arrogance that exists amongst financial advisors who believe that They've always been paid a certain way. They've always been paid a certain amount and therefore they deserve it. And that's just, that's just what it is. I, I charge 1% and I don't care if you have a hundred dollars, a hundred thousand or a hundred million, that's how I get paid. And that therefore it's right. And, and we just don't think that's right. That doesn't seem fair to us um, that on, on either end, it should be based on how much value you deliver to your clients. And I just don't know how you can justify charging a client with a hundred million dollars, one percent or a million bucks a year. That just does. That just seems like an astronomically high bar above which you have to deliver service. On the other end of the spectrum, the lower net worth or lower assets under management client, sometimes you know you you need to charge more than what would work out to be one percent of a hundred thousand dollar relationship because you're doing so much work for them. You're helping them with their life insurance, their uh, disability insurance. You're helping them buy homes and shop mortgages. If you only charge a thousand dollars for that, you, you might well lose money. And so to answer your question about correlation, there's some correlation, um, but it is dramatically less than uh, the historical wealth management market would have you believe that it is. Mm-hmm. As, as as an aside, I, I one of the things that that I'm really interested in seeing is, <clears throat> I, I think that a lot of advisors who are based in the AUM model um, may may start getting questions from clients where they've been providing you know a full suite of financial planning services, and let's say that they've got a million dollars for a client under management, and the client has a million dollars in their 401k or their retirement plan, and so they go to retire. And the advisor says, great, well, you know, let's roll it over with us and we'll manage the whole thing. And, and having the client come back and say, well, that's great and we love you and you've given us great service and you've done it for this amount, but you're going to apply that same percentage to my rollover. What are you going to do for me when you double my fees? Exactly. Exactly. The, the consumer of the future is going to demand 
proof of value. Yeah. That, that's, that's my belief. They're, they're no longer going to go along with, well, this is the way it's always been done. This is what it's always been. This is how I've always been charged. They're not going to do it. There are going to be more tools at the consumer's disposal to evaluate the results that they've, they're receiving from all their professional service providers, not just wealth managers, but attorneys and accountants. And so it's going to be incumbent upon the wealth advisor to prove and demonstrate this is the value that I'm adding. This is the fee that you're paying. You can decide if it's worth it, but I can quantify it for you. You know, the, the level of transparency, the demand of transparency is going has increased already. And I think that that's just going to be a steep upward trajectory going forward. No, I just love that, that, that this is where the, the discussion is taking place. Because at some level, I've uh, always thought it's, it's not whether it's fees or commission or AUM or what it is. It's is it justifiable? And is it what the client needs, wants and expects? And if you can justify a different model, then knock yourself out. It's, but this is about what the client wants, right? That's right. That's right. It, it, if you always go back to what's best for the client, what's in the client's best interest, that has to be at the foundation of any successful long-term business. You, you might get away with uh, not putting the client first for a little bit of time, but it's going to catch up with you. It's so much easier to focus on what's right for the client, what's fair, and that's going to help you not only have great client relationships, but that's going to help you grow your business. And and as sort of proof of concept, you've you've gone from establishing advice period and going to 1.6 billion over the course of four years, which is pretty dramatic. Can you tell us what, besides these ideas, what kinds of things enabled you to do that? Yeah. And we're actually, again, AUM's not a big deal to us, but we're at over almost two and a half billion these days. Um, There was a huge benefit to us uh, of starting from scratch no legacy systems or the way things had always been done, um, focusing on what we thought mattered most to clients, and then um, investing heavily in technology and just getting our, our beliefs out in the world, we found to be a, a helpful way of attracting uh, clients who are looking for something different, who are asking some of these same questions, Julie, that you mentioned, by putting our information out there. Um, with the help of great podcasts like this and, and blogs and white papers that, that we that we write, um, that helps attract folks to us who have a similar belief system. Um, that that's been that's been huge for us. And and you've got a um, to to sort of explain this concept. You've got a book coming out uh, called "It's That Simple" about about building the, the the financial service firm of the future. So. Tell us a little bit more about what you envision as as what that future firm looks like. Yeah, that that was a really fun book to write, and it's coming out this this fall um, because it, it describes what we believe in at Advice Period, you know, why we're building our business the way that we are, and and what we believe in, and many of the things we've we've talked about already today. Um, but the 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 idea is that it, the the firm in the future is going to have to deliver value. It's going to have to prove that they've delivered that value to their clients. Uh, and to do that, we believe it's going to have to be a, a combination of all the technology that we've discussed and, and the technology to come, as well as amazing people. You, you have to have great people providing the services. You have to have top-tier folks in all aspects of your business uh, to deliver that client experience 
because uh, whether it's directly or indirectly, everyone at a wealth management company, everyone at a professional service firm touches the client. Sometimes it's obvious, relationship manager. Sometimes it's less obvious, someone that works more in the back office. But you have to have great people. You have to have great technology uh, because that's what clients are going to expect and they're going to demand it. Um, that, and as I was mentioning, consumers are more informed and they'll have more tools at their disposal to evaluate all of us than they've ever had before. I mean, if you think about the way that most folks find their advisor, you ask friends, you ask a family member, um, it's not necessarily the most robust process. But these days with all the online tools and the social media, it's much easier than ever before to understand what it's really like to be a client at different advisory firms. And so if, if advisory firms are not embracing that, if they're not managing their own message, then it's being managed for them by someone else and you're probably going to lose. So you mentioned, uh, Larry, team there is, and, and it's such, it's such a big issue, obviously, and a challenge for a lot of firms to, to recruit and retain and develop talent. Is there anything uh, different in the approach that you've taken either to recruiting or to developing the team to ensure that they have that same vision? Culture is key to everything we do, and, and that starts by having a very clear mission. Uh, our mission is to reinvent wealth management. I think you could ask virtually anybody at advice period, and they would tell you, that's our company mission, and here is my role in helping us accomplish that mission. So having clarity of mission is, is critically important, and that drives our culture. Uh, we have to let everybody know what we stand for, both at the company as well as in the market. Because if you wanna, if you wanna stand out, you have to stand for something. That, that's, the, that's the way to attract new business. That's the way to attract the best employees that, that you want. Um, and like I said, you, you have to have those, those folks at, at every level. And so uh, we're very purposeful with our culture. Uh, we have a saying around the office that if, uh, when we think about building our championship team, if there isn't a cultural fit, nothing else matters. There, there's no such thing as, well, th this person's a great teammate or this person would be a great fit, but ah, there just isn't a cultural fit. Um, there's no such thing. You have to be a cultural fit um, because teaching folks how to use our technology and how to deliver our client experience is much easier than trying to teach someone a new, a new culture or a new value system. Um, and that's very much what we mean by our, by our culture. It's what do we value, the honesty and the integrity and the pursuit of excellence. And, um, and so, Larry, how do you, how do you def if you're bringing somebody new onto the team, how, how do you clarify that or assess it? How do you, how do you, how do you, how do you get those shared values and mission through the whole team? It, it's, it starts with the tip of the spear is putting out in the world our belief system so that when someone is looking for a new opportunity or someone had heard about us and they're researching us, they see what we believe in and, and either consciously or subconsciously, they can start to decide whether or not they would fit. Once we actually start speaking with a candidate, uh, our first two interviews are entirely cultural based. We want to understand what motivates them. We want to understand what makes them happy because we have this crazy notion that happy employees translate into happy clients. <laughs> and so that's, we, we want to understand. Story. It's madness, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. Uh, revolutionary. 
And so we really want to understand what makes people happy. And so we we do a a behavioral survey, like, like so many firms do, we use the predictive index and it's very, it's a very easy, um, survey that you can do in five or 10 minutes and really helps us understand in what situations will this person be happy versus where they'll be stressed. We ask them for their experiences, you know, again, the open-ended questions about tell us a time when you were the happiest at work, what were you doing? Who are you doing it with? Um, what, what's, what's your, what are your dreams? What are your ambitions? What's your vision for your future? And we want to understand if we think there's a lot of commonality. Um, you know, it's, it's not when we look at a, at a cultural fit, it's not the proverbial beer test. Is this a person we'd enjoy hanging out with? Of course, there's some element of that. We're on the same team, but it's really not a social dynamic. It's more about a belief system. We're curious how they handle themselves. You know, we pride ourselves on following up very quickly, on respecting others, on showing appreciation. It, it, are these things that we experience with these candidates during our first two cultural interviews? And if they pass those tests, then it moves into, okay, can they do the job? Do they have the, the knowledge, the aptitude? Uh, and, and that usually takes the form of uh, what we call our, our experiential day, where any candidate who's interested in coming to work with us uh, has to commit to one full day in our office, uh, almost in like a simulated working experience. And so if you think about who's going to do that, it's going to be someone who's committed. That person's taking a vacation day from their current employer. They're coming into our office for a full day. That's a huge commitment. That person is opting in to wanting to be a part of our mission. Um, Someone who's just interested in a new paycheck or who's going to give them a signing bonus probably won't do that in part because we don't offer signing bonuses when people <laughs> join us. So those are some of the things that, that, that we do. And, and then how do you, um, so you talked about the importance of values and mission, and then how do you break that down into roles? So when you said before, people on your team will say, here's our mission and here's my role in it. How do you get clarify how do you get clarity for your team members on that and then how do you make sure that all of the puzzle pieces all the roles fit together into the whole that you want to build yeah that that's that is uh mission critical uh we we've grown we've had the as you mentioned the good fortune of growing fairly rapidly where you know, we've gone from one office and two advisors just two years ago to now we have 12 or 14 offices and 30 some odd advisors all over the country. And so we've gone from a company where we could fit everyone in the same room to now we have folks in four different time zones. And how do we create that same culture and continue to build it as the business changes? And the the easy answer is communication. We spend, and I personally spend a lot of time communicating with our team that's based here in Los Angeles, as well as our, our smaller offices across the country, uh, explaining to them, this is what's new with the business. What are you seeing? Uh, asking a lot of questions, um, helping them understand what we're trying to accomplish, um, helping them understand what their issues, opportunities, and challenges are, understanding what resources they need to exceed, to excel. Um, and making sure that when, for example, I meet with our uh, operations manager who handles all of the account opening and wires and trades, that he and his team are, are very familiar with exactly what they need to do 
to help us be successful. So c- communication is key. Asking a lot of questions, explaining what we're trying to accomplish, thinking 6, 12, 18 months ahead of, of what do we need to do today to be ready in six months or in a year. That sort of communication, planning, um, you know, detail orientation is, is key. And how, I mean, we, we talk on this podcast about becoming referable and it's, it's quite clear that everything that you have talked about, uh, makes you more referable. How, how does that translate into growth for you? Um, do you, do you see a connection between the way you're building the business and increasing referrals and how do you go about that? Um, when we think of referrals, we, we think of, or, or meeting new folks, it, it's both meeting new advisors who want to bring their business and plug into advice period and, and join us almost as like a, a franchisee. And we, we attract those advisors by um, shouting from uh, as, as many different areas as we can what we believe in. Um, Obviously, the, the second part of thinking about referrals and introductions is is clients, and and, and we've come to the belief that um, that the there's a huge myth that's been propagated on financial advisors that um, the way to get referrals is to spend more time with centers of influence, go out and spend as much time as you can with uh, attorneys and, and accountants and. Um, we, we've just seen next to no evidence that that is a great way of, of building of building a business. Uh, you're looking for that unicorn, that 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 person that is going to open up their Rolodex to you. Um, and and instead, what we believe is that the best businesses are built by taking amazing care of your clients and putting those clients in a position to make it easier for them to introduce you to other people that you can help. That's that. That's the best way to to build a, a referral sourced business. Right. And how do you do that well, last piece of it? Yep. So a, a couple things. Um, one of the the and I, I get to work with a, a bunch of our advisors across the country and and kind of coaching and helping them build their businesses. And and one of the easiest tactics that that most folks overlook is letting your best clients know that they're they're your best clients. Let, let folks know that you love working with them, that what you're helping them with uh, is exactly what you're passionate about. It has to be authentic. I mean, everyone's got those favorite clients who, when they call you, you're excited to talk to them. You're excited to help them. Let those folks know who they are and what it is about them that you enjoy so much. Clients love hearing that, and it helps them think of other people like themselves that you could help. So, Larry, I've, I've got to take a little issue with something you just said. I, the, um, you talked about um, centers of influence not being the best route to get referrals. And I will agree with you that most advisors do it really badly. So that mm-hmm. if you look at the statistics of how many referrals advisors on average get from different sources, that COIs is going to be near the bottom of the pile. But I don't I don't think that's because it, the, the, the idea doesn't work. I think it's because they're just bad at it. Um, and if you, if, if we think about, um, uh, the opportunities, you know, your, your, your clients may bump into somebody who needs what you do occasionally, and mm-hmm. it may come up in, in conversation occasionally, but, you know, a, a center of influence meets those people on a full-time basis, you know, and, 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 and just has a lot more opportunities to refer. So, 
um, I'm, I'm, I'm more inclined to think that if you can describe that special experience that your best clients are seeking, that you deliver, and you can describe that to a center of influence and say, listen, you know, we're not looking for everybody that you work with, but when you find somebody who's looking for this particular kind of experience, you know, keep us in mind because we're that firm. What, what are your thoughts about, about approaching it? That so he, here's, here's been my experience. Um, my experience has been that there's a mall very close to our office here in Los Angeles. We're in Century City and this mall is full of restaurants and being Los Angeles, most have alfresco dining. And as you walk by these restaurants, you will see the same trust and estate attorneys, the same CPAs every day. And every day they're being taken out to lunch by a different wealth manager. It's a bank one day, a trust company another, an RIA the next day. And, and I just think that the competition for their attention is so intense that it may be that the advisors aren't very good at uh, getting the referrals from these folks, but it may also be that these advisors, these so-called centers of influence, um, already have the wealth managers that they're going to use. And the chances of you breaking into that and becoming their go-to person is very difficult. Right. So it's a, it's a, it is a competitive space, no doubt. And it's interesting as well that... Um, you know, the reality is that different things seem to work for, for different people. I think the approach that you're taking um, works absolutely for you. I've talked to some who do get business from centers of influence. So it's, it's, it's interesting to, to, to look at that. Um, you know, I know that we're just uh, coming up to time and I feel like I could talk to you all day about this because, I mean, who really, who starts saying we're just going to turn the industry upside down? I love it. Did, did you always have lofty goals, Larry, <laughs> as a child? <laughs> well, I, I, I think that um, you know my partners and I, as well as our entire team at Advice Period, um, we're very curious. We are uh, proud of the business that we've built, and we're we're more than humble enough to realize that we don't have it all figured out. And that pursuit of getting better, of doing a better job for our clients, of doing a better job for our teammates, um, you know, that, that just kind of pursuit of excellence, of trying to get better, always get better, um, and, and do it. That, 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 that's fun for us. Um, you know, I think as we were talking about earlier, you know, for some, for some uh, people, for some advisors, for some firms, uh, doing things differently, uh, change makes them nervous, makes them uncomfortable. For us, we embrace it. We want to do things differently. And so for us, it's, it, this is just a lot of fun. It's what we think makes sense. And, uh, we, we've never, we've never enjoyed working more and, uh, we just feel very, very fortunate for the opportunities that we have. Yeah. I love it. And I think, you know, even in the face of fear, I think just asking the, that question, could, could things be different or, are things changing and do I need to change? I mean, it's just asking a question. It doesn't mean you're going to step into the abyss, right? Um, exactly. It's, it's, it's that, it's that yeah. simple asking the questions, <laughs> thinking about how it's going to be different. Hence yep. the book. I love it. We'll yeah. make sure exactly. um, we get connected to all of these things that you've mentioned uh, in the show notes. And thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. Uh, Julie, Steve, th thank you both for having me on. I really appreciate it. Hi, it's Julie again. It was great to have you with us on Becoming Referrable. 
If you like what you've been hearing, please do us a favor and rate us on iTunes. It really does help. You can get all the links, show notes, and other tidbits from these episodes at becomingreferrable.com. You can also get our free report, Three Referral Myths That Limit Your Growth, and connect with our blogs and other resources. Thanks so much for joining us.